0: Better get ready. Yeah! No! Yeah! No! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Do it. What do you see? The
1: of And welcome everyone to a beautiful Saturday morning, a hot one. It definitely is the fall season, but definitely doesn't feel like it. But guess what? Football is still in our lives. Hopefully, you're enjoying the show on a beautiful Louisiana Saturday morning. I know I sure am because I'm here with you. Appreciate you listening in. And if you want to get in on the conversation, 337-706-0111. It is a fantastic day to be a fan of the LSU Tigers and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, two games that I think they're strongly favored in the contest. You heard some of the lines in the two-minute drill. But I honestly think it's going to be a lot more competitive than some of those lines that do indeed lie, especially when it comes to the cages. We'll talk about that more later on in the program. But right about now, I want to kind of start things off hot and get right down to brass tacks about what's causing all this on your Louisiana Saturday morning.
0: The famous CB is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Who testifies? It's time for your Saturday sports sermon.
1: All right, sorry for those little technical difficulties there. Turn it down a little bit, Daryl. Thank you very much. But what I want to get to to start off this show today is what we saw this past weekend. From Jameis Winston against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I understand it felt like a regression to the mean. Back to the old Jameis instead of the Jameis that we've all kind of grown to love, admittedly. I think he's been a guy that we've all enjoyed last season. To a certain extent, what we saw last Sunday was almost a mirror image of what we saw in the Saints' Week 2 loss last season against the Carolina Panthers minus... The entire coaching staff being out due to COVID. Not the entire one, but a little hyperbole, but it definitely felt like it. That said, I think this is a lot to do with the fact that Jameis Winston in 2022 is a lot like Drew, Blee, Drew Brees excuse me, playing during those seven and nine seasons. Where he had to put the team on his back like his name was Greg Jennings in Madden. He didn't have Alvin Kamara, so the run game in turn suffered. Yes, Mark Ingham had his moments in the sun and looked great at certain points in the ballgame. But guess what? He also stumbled a lot out the gates at certain points, namely the big fumble. That wound up being the pivotal moment of that ballgame in the red zone, fumbling it, because the Saints would have had firm control of the contest at that point. Again, this was a practice in futility on the offensive front on both sides. It's not just Jameis Winston throwing a crap ton of deep balls, which we'll get to in a second, but it felt like to a certain extent Jameis Winston had to put the team on his back after after allowing that fumble to happen and not being able to really take control, maybe put the dagger in the hopes of the Buccaneers because the entire game, they had moments where he let it rip and it wasn't a great look overall, to be quite honest with you. It wasn't the greatest look in the world. And I think the biggest reason why was because of the fact that you have Jameis Winston. He was, to a certain extent, continually going towards Chris Olave. Am I saying that's his security blanket like his name's Linus? I don't necessarily think so. But he kept overthrowing the rookie out of the Ohio State University, and then he was getting picked off, namely a pick six wound up really doing them in. It was a bad look all the way around. If you're looking at what Jameis Winston did in an isolated incident. And I think that's probably the least of Saints fans worries. If you're, if you want me to be completely honest, I think what I saw on Sunday in terms of his passing, he looked good in terms of throwing the passes. It's not like the back injury is affecting his throws. I think it's the back injuries are something he's thinking about because the fact that his offensive line has fallen apart. We talked about it last week. Teron Armstead is probably the biggest thing that the Saints are missing, having that great offensive line guy. The continuity is not there, so it's it's tough, and that's the biggest thing he's dealing with. But now everybody's concerned about the injury. The back injury, obviously. Maybe he shouldn't have played, a lot of people are saying, and I'm kind of agreeing with them. Mainly because I think he needed to kind of take a moment and focus up. And I think he also needs to kind of like during practice this week, I was saying to a good friend of mine here off air, saying that he needs to stop playing like it's a game of NFL blitz and throwing the bomb every single play. Newsflash. It's not the 90s, and we're not playing an arcade game. And I'm hoping maybe Drew Brees gave him a call sometime this week and mentioned it, that exact thing. Focus on throwing more of the dink and dunks and making sure Slant Boy is getting fed. Because I think, as much as we laugh at the old Slant Boy narrative, it's helped the Saints a lot, to be quite honest with you. So, why not kind of have Drew Brees have a conversation with him, saying, hey, Kind of limit yourself in those deep balls. Don't do it almost every drive because then defenses are going to pick up on that. And I guarantee you, we're going to get some of those thirty-plus interception seasons we saw with Jameis before he left Tampa by the pay. And it was it was wild. Like he only linked up really with Alave one time, and the one time he did, it was a deep ball, perfectly thrown. He caught it. And then the second he went down, ball pops out, and it's a turnover. And it's a—it's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, the back injury. Now he's got an ankle injury. He was questionable, according to yesterday's injury report. And to me, that wasn't why he was throwing, overthrowing. It's the fact he's under pressure. He's having to wait for so long instead of, hey, your offensive line isn't going to hold up for five, six seconds. Go ahead and and throw it away. Go ahead, chunk it to the nearest guy you can find wearing black and gold or white and gold depending what game it is and depending if it's color rush or on the road but it's like i brought the offensive line maybe by week eight winston's gonna start looking like jake berman out in little giants where he put the mattress all over his body that thing is he's just getting destroyed because that offensive line is letting him down but trust me that's not the only team in the nfl that's having an offensive line letting down their star QB. We're eight quarters in. We are eight quarters in to the NFL season for the New Orleans Saints, and he's only had one good quarter. The opening drive, yes, was solid, but the third down pass had a little too much mustard on an, on their opening drive. It, they could have gotten points on the board, but going back to Jameis Winston, it's not the back injury that's affecting him. It's not the back injury at all. It's the fact that he is continually throwing a little bit too much heat on that fastball, throwing the deep ball a little bit too hard. If he's able to control that, have maybe a little bit of that old spin rate if we're going to go and bring a baseball term into it again, that's something that he needs to focus in on. And if he can do that, I think he can perform and have people – really realize that Winston is a good quarterback not a elite quarterback but a very good quarterback and at the end of the end of the day when you have an elite defense you can have a good quarterback and make the playoffs don't believe me go ask Joe Flacco don't believe me go ahead and ask a lot of other quarterbacks over the last 20 years I think Eli Manning stands out head and shoulders in my mind of one of those guys who's A very good but not elite quarterback who got to the Super Bowl, who got to a championship because of, wait for it, an elite defense. My biggest thing is he needs to focus on staying away from throwing the bomb like it's a game of NFL blitz. If he does that, I think this team can have a lot better of an opportunity to succeed. Now you gotta get past the Carolina Panthers with Baker Mayfield. And the Panthers have always been a thorn in the Saints' side. But I think they have a definite chance of getting things done this Sunday. Now, how many players are going to be left? Is anybody's guess? Because again, the injury report is continually making me think that the New Orleans Saints are just hexed, cursed, have a pox put upon them because they have injuries after injuries after injuries. And I'm hopeful they can figure out a way to get back into that mix in terms of the top of the NFC South. But a win today could cure some of those ills as they head up to foggy London Town this time next week. Which is wild to think about that they have three divisional games, and then you play in foggy London Town against the Minnesota Vikings. And those that don't remember, let me educate you a little bit about that game next week. The last time the Saints played the team that is the Minnesota Vikings in the regular season, or in London, I should say, that was the game that all turned around for the New Orleans Saints because at that point in time, no, excuse me, not the Minnesota Vikings, but the last time they went to London in 2017, they turned the season around in a hurry because they had those first two losses – got rid of AP, focused in on getting your guy, Alva Camara, The Rock a lot more, and that team turned it around. Not instantaneously, not overnight, but I think this could be the start of some successful years if this game works out well because you don't want to head into the London game on a two-game skid against a Minnesota Vikings team that is, admittedly, a little bit better than a lot of us thought heading into the regular season. All right, it's under the dome with CD. We're almost to the halfway point of high school football. Let's get. We're gonna get to what what has happened over the last couple of days and give you an idea what's going on in the Gulf and how that could affect Week Five in the next segment. Chris Gordy is gonna be joining the program as well. We're gonna talk some SEC football maybe some Astros as well at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And we got your chance to go see the Angola Prison Rodeo. It's back in town. And you can just enter in right now for a chance to win a family four-pack of tickets for next Sunday's big event Again, at the Angola Prison Rodeo by texting the word Rodeo, R O D E O, to 337 283 8100. That's Rodeo 2337 283 8100. You're right. A family four packet tickets to the Angola Prison Rodeo up for grabs courtesy of the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's go ahead and get into what happened last night across the world of high school football. Got Chris Gordy coming on in about 10 minutes. We're going to talk some Houston Astros of baseball and also some SEC football mainly in the next segment. But I want to kind of go through what happened, especially amongst our Delta Media family of stations, because it was an interesting last couple of days, namely... With the Acadiana High Wrecking Rams. An old school rivalry starting things off here in the high school roundup. The Acadiana High and Rams squared off against the Lafayette High Mighty Lions. And the Rams had won the last 15 straight meetings. Made it 16 in a row against Lafayette High. 55-6. Interesting little twist. This was at LCA's stadium. Mainly because of the fact that Lafayette High. mentioned it last week. But in case you haven't heard. Lafayette High is having to borrow LCA Stadium for their home games because they're currently renovating Lafayette High. They're having to renovate that entire venue, the entire high school, essentially. They've torn down the baseball stadium. They're going to use Sly-Sy, if I'm not mistaken, and they're going to have a new football stadium, all this stuff. So they're they're making a lot of renovations to the home of the Mighty Lions. But remember what I said after week one? As I mentioned, the fact that the season-opening loss against LCA wasn't anything to really worry about. Case in point, a 55-6 drubbing against a Lafayette High team that heading into this ballgame looked damn good. This was a battle of teams that at that point were looking good, and now KD&I is looking like the team that we expected. Again, 3-5-A is where they make their hay. It's a lot like when you see teams like Alabama in the SEC. They can just dominate anybody at any given moment. Or in some cases, the Georgia Bulldogs this year. They've been dominating opponents left, right, and sideways. But the hay is going to be in the barn when they play SEC opponents. The District 3-5-A, that's very much where the Reckon Rams hold serve, and that helps them in terms of the power ratings. And speaking of those power ratings, I think those 3-5-A games, those are going to have a ton of weight towards the end of the regular season, namely because the Southside Sharks continue to take a bite out of 3-5-A, and we're not talking McGriff the crime dog. We're talking about the Sharks absolutely smelling blood in the water, taking on the Yellow Jackets of Nish, and they rolled, put them into a tailspin with a 37-7 victory. The Sharks, that's a second straight win, over a district opponent, and they are looking damn good through four games in the regular season. Definitely a strong start. And hell, I mean, you started off the season with a very competitive win. Competitive competitive ball game, excuse me. They lost that against the Notre Dame Pios on a big Thursday night. One team they did beat last week was the Cairn High Golden Bears, who bounced back, slapping around the Golden Tornadoes and ran through them like a hot knife through butter with a 43 to nothing victory. The Cancro team is already making 3-5-A, one of the must-see districts in the Acadian area, a lot like what they did in the mid to late 2010s with St. Thomas, Moore, Turlings, all those teams, because that district back in the day, 4-4-A, when those three were going at it, that was a highly intriguing district, to say the least, to see who was going to come out of that alive. Mind you, for the most part, it was St. Thomas Moore's district, but boy, oh boy, it was still competitive. And this was kind of expected. Over on 104-1 Lake Charles, the Barb Buccaneers absolutely pillaged Pineville with a 42-0 win to keep the momentum going into in this early part of the season. Meanwhile, you have Catholic High of Baton Rouge. They hosted St. Thomas Moore. You heard that action on the game, 1037 7 Lafayette. It was a very competitive first half. The Cougars got some big turnovers, were able to take control of the contest, if we're being honest, and the Bears of Catholic High stormed out in the second half. 49-28 win. The Cougars were up 28-21. Not quite Atlanta Falcons blowing a lead in the fourth quarter, but this was still a little bit surprising because at that point in the ballgame, at halftime, it felt like the Cougars were in firm control. Of that contest, but the Bears bounced back and came away with a 49 28 win. Other games, Vermillion Catholic, they shut out ERAV, holding it down in a shutout victory. Eunice takes down Northwest of the St. Landry Parish game of the week. And a couple other notes, not just locally, but statewide, I'll break down for you. First off, Northside was supposed to take on McKinley last night. They did start the game, but they did not finish the contest. It was the big night for McKinley, homecoming. They had a benches-clearing brawl between both programs that single-handedly ruined what should have been a great night for the Panthers as a whole, not just for the football team, but for the high school students. It's homecoming night, the homecoming court. All that stuff got thrown to the wayside because of a massive brawl. Again, benches-clearing felt like the old-school ice skaters brawl from back in the old ECHL days. That would be the one time I'll probably bring up the ice skaters for a good while on the show. But that was an absolute black eye on what was a great Friday night of football. Hat tip to my guy Jacques Doucet of WAV. He was out there, and he reports that all players from both teams have been disqualified. This means that both programs won't have enough players for next week's contest, so they'll be forfeiting next week for what it's worth the Vikings we're set to play Peabody next week. So Vikings fans, that's what you got over there on North side Again, nothing truly official, but I wouldn't be surprised if all those players were indeed disqualified, and it's a one-game suspension, a lot like what we see in the World of College. When you're disqualified in the second half due to targeting, you miss the first half of the next game, but you're missing the entire game in high school. And with a big brawl like that, I kind of can agree with that statement one of the other big things that we were watching not just albert pujols trying to crack the 700 club last night it was trey holly that's who a lot of people across the state were looking forward to seeing and the fact that he did this the union Parish running back the lsu commit he broke the state rushing record that was previously held by former tiger nick brissette at their home stadium en route to a 62-12 win over Bastrop. Here's the thing. He's still got at least, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more coming, but he's got at least six more games left because we're in week four. So he's got six more games left in the regular season. Hopefully we get through all those without a hitch. I think he could make that record damn near untouchable. I think there's a very good chance he... Not just beats former LSU Tiger running back Nick Brissett's record, but I think he can absolutely knock it out the park and make that thing damn near untouchable. Maybe a lot like Barry Bonds' home run record. But speaking of pools, congrats to him. May not be the biggest fan of the guy, because again I'm an Astros fan. I have a little PTSD about those cards, but they absolutely great moment in the history of the MLB. Watch that clip about 50 times last night after i got home after a long friday night then we have i was blown away by this mangum's quarterback jalen williams he put up madden numbers last night against general trask he may have been playing on rookie mode if we're talking madden ncaa football back in the day well that's coming back soon keep forgetting about that but he had get this get these numbers real quick 656 yards Of all purpose, 656 all purpose yards and seven touchdowns. Are you kidding me? This dude is an absolute machine. 650. I I was blown away by that. I don't normally like to break down stats because it's a little boring, if you will, to talk about on the air. But my God, Mangum's guy, Jalen Williams, if you were saying, remember the name, I I will definitely be remembering that name with Mangum. Dude was putting up stats like crazy 600 yards of total all-purpose that is insane he just tore up the field seven touchdowns are you kidding me that alone is enough to be able to be put your put yourself on the list to talk about on this show one more thing this was on a thursday night And it doubles back to something that we talked about on last week's show over in our neighbors to the west, and that is Texas. Because over in the Lake Charles area, LaGrange was supposed to take on St. Edmund. The game actually wound up getting canceled due to lack of officials, according to reports that I've seen, more or less due to a communication breakdown between the LHSA and the officiating crew. And again, it always sucks to see a game get canceled for one reason or another. We talked about it with McKinley Northside earlier. The fact it got canceled due to a benches-clearing brawl. Port Berry, they had several fights in that area leading up to their week one contest. That game got, got canceled because of that and a lot of other things. So it's a shame to see games get canceled, but more so whenever you have a – again, allegedly, based off of reports – a communication breakdown between the LHSA and the officiating crew that was supposed to be on the on the field for this contest. And see it get canceled? It stinks because it's some of that stuff's just out of your control. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Come back, we're going to talk with Chris Gordy, part of Sports Talk 790 and host of the Locked On SEC podcast. Time to get some perspective on what's going on across the conference of Dixie. So you're listening to The Game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear. With Under the Dome. With the world-famous CD. On the game. 1037 Lafayette. And 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Back to under the dome with CD right here on the game 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and we have your chance to get spooked. It's spooky season, so it's time to face your worst nightmare with the game's 13th gate giveaway. We have your VIP tickets for the legend. Wait for it. Dairy Haunted House attraction that you can scream at over. And over again while others have to wait in line. Consider this like Disneyland with the fast pass, but it's your fast pass to get scared this Halloween season. So sign up today in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today to win a pair of VIP tickets to the 13th gate, which is courtesy of Midnight Productions and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let's get out to the game hotline right now and talk with our guy, Chris Gordy, part of Sports Talk 790, out on the middays, and also the host of the Locked on SEC podcast. Chris, how you been,
2: man? Hey, what's going on, man? It's a big day of uh, football and excited to get it going here.
1: We're less than a month into the SEC football season, but we've got some marquee matchups to get to. But first things first, let's go to the team that we care about the most here in the heart of Cajun country, and that's the LSU Tigers. What are your thoughts on what we've seen from Jaden Daniels, and more importantly, Brian Kelly, through the first three games of the season? Has that kind of stink been washed off of the disappointing kind of come-out-flat game against Florida State to of the season?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it, it, I said it. The the night of that game, and and I'll say it again, I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that they had to play a team like Florida State in that week one when you look at everything they brought back. You know, same coaching staff, uh, so many different players, and Brian Kelly has taken over a program with a whole new coaching staff, tons of transfers that they took through the portal, and everybody was kind of finding their footing. And, And, you know, by the fourth quarter of that game, you know, you start to see things start to click, and you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, the schedule couldn't have been flipped. I kept saying, you know, had they played Southern week one and Florida State week two, I think LSU wins that game. So, you know, look, it's a loss on the schedule, but you know, theoretically LSU really should be undefeated right now. What a win last week against Mississippi State. Uh really, really good effort from the defense. Matt House had that had that defense um, you know, really playing at a high level and picking and choosing the spots when to bring pressure, when to not. I thought it was it was outstanding, and the offense obviously struggled in the in the first half. And you know, in the two minute right before halftime, they were able to go get points. And then we saw a little bit more of the tempo in the second half. And I heard Mike Gembrock do an interview on Sunday, and he said, "Yeah, we're starting to realize, you know, Jaden is way more comfortable when we run tempo." So I'd expect that's going to be a, a part of LSU's offense moving forward and throughout the season that they're going to run more up tempo. He said, "It's not just Jaden; it's the receivers, it's the offensive linemen. When they slow down, everybody starts thinking." And he said, "The problem with thinking is you get in your head, and you're not doing what you need to be doing. Instead, when you run tempo, everybody's it's just it's playing football, and uh, that's where we saw LSU very successful last week, hitting Malik Neighbors on so many uh, third downs on that big drive where they went and got points." So. I like I like this LSU team. I think they're starting to gel. I think we're starting to see guys come around. B.J. Jalari had a heck of a game last year. Jay, or last week, Jay Ward did as well. Um, you know, Keishon Booty. We're still waiting for him to, to have that big moment this year. But I think it sets up great. This morning is a big game, by the way. You know, if you're an LSU fan, you want to do a little scouting. Missouri is playing at Auburn this morning, and Brian Harson is is a dead man walking at Auburn. And if he loses this game to Missouri. You know, I've had multiple people tell me he will not be the head coach come, come Monday morning. And why that's significant is that's LSU's next opponent after they play New Mexico tonight. So uh, if LSU goes into uh, Auburn next week and Brian Harson is not the head coach, I think that bodes even well for LSU. But uh, you got to take one game at a time, week by week. But man, a lot of the, when you look at LSU's schedule, a lot of those intimidating games earlier, you know, in, in the off season. Don't look as intimidating. You know, going to the swamp doesn't look as scary now with how Florida's been playing lately. Uh, like I said, the road trip to Auburn doesn't look scary now. So there's, there's some of those games that you look at the schedule and go, well, I mean, look, if LSU keeps developing and getting better week by week, uh, they're going to be in the thick of this thing and may, you know, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule.
1: Did I actually share with you my notes for the show? Because I actually had that question next in my lineup in terms of the Auburn Mizzou game. And obviously, I think the agreement is that almost like six years i want to realize in this about six years ago today was when you had les miles's last game against auburn and what was kind of coined to a certain extent the buyout bowl that eventually led to ed ogeron taking the coaching job but looking at what's happened with auburn over the last few years do you think brian harson was set up to fail
2: it, it was it was a combination of a bunch of different things. I mean, you know, look, Auburn moved off from Gus Melzon and it, it, Gus was not doing a bad job. I mean, Gus was beating my beating Alabama, winning Iron Bowls, and you know, it, I think the problem is you look at it and, and you start going, well, seven wins a year. You know, we can do better than that. Uh, I think Auburn puts themselves a lot in, in LSU's category. I think they, they you know, I, with, at Alabama, they expect to compete and win the SEC West every year with Nick Saban. And at LSU and Alabama, I think they're – an at LSU and Auburn, I think they're one step behind that. I think the expectation at LSU and Auburn is we should be competing for the SEC West at least every other year. You know what I mean? Like, okay, this is a down-year transition year, but next year we better be competing. And if we win the West, okay, great. Next year you have a down-year, okay, fine. Like, in other words, that's acceptable. Uh, I think the the mix with Brian Harson was it was an athletic director hire. That athletic director is now gone uh, they let him go a few weeks ago, so it's you know it's it's a new uh, school president. It's it's all new people in there, and they want to get their guy in there. They, you know, it was, it, looking back on it, Brian Harson was not uh, was not the guy that got everybody excited coming from Boise State. They wanted to make a big splash hire, and they weren't able to do that. And so, I think Auburn's looking at it and saying, "Man, we need to go make a big splash hire." And uh, you know, if we can get rid of Harson this season, great. But you know, I think the getting blown up by Penn State uh, last weekend did not help his cause especially after a tumultuous offseason so um yeah i think uh, i think auburn is going to be in the mix for for a head coach next offseason and you know honestly if auburn beats missouri today if they find a way to, to, to win they're around a touchdown favorite i think Mizzou may be looking for a new head coach next offseason and eli, eli drinkwitz has not done what missouri you know is, is hoped he could do there he came come, came over from appalachian state and you know, Gary Pinkle uh, walked off into the sunset. Gary Pinkle got Mizzou to not one but two SEC championships. Mizzou has done something that A and M hasn't even done since they've come to the, the SEC a decade ago. So, uh, I think Mizzou is going to be setting their sights on, on a on a bigger name coach. Somebody could come in and win, but it's uh, the SEC, man. It's like a Game of Thrones. It really is. You know, somebody's got to suck. I always say that. Uh, and, and it's just unfortunate because you got so many good coaches in this league but it will eat you alive I think Brian Harson's actually a pretty good coach and if he gets fired after after this year at Auburn I bet he'll go back to somewhere like a Boise or you know a mid major and he'll win 910 games a year there and be very successful It's just some sometimes the big the big boy jobs the SEC jobs sometimes guys are just not cut out for him.
1: You brought up Game of Thrones I'm just gonna ask you outright. Which SEC school would f- best fit in the House of Dragons?
2: <laughs> well, you know, if, if we consider the SEC is is the Game of Thrones, uh, you know, it, when you look when you look around the league, I mean, I, I don't know who King Joffrey would be, but you know, maybe maybe that would be Saban, but uh, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's an interesting comparison just because you know it's everybody's wanting that power, everybody's trying to climb the, the ladder. You know Jimbo Fisher is kind of like uh, Littlefinger, where he's duping people and tricking people into bot- giving him big money. And uh, you know everybody's looking around and going, "Wait, we give Jimbo how much a year? He still can't even win the SEC West." So uh, you know, I think there's some, there's some fun comparisons there. But uh, man, it is uh, it, it is crazy. I mean, I look at Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and he's got them undefeated. And you know, uh, I, I go look at Ole Miss's schedule, and I go, "Gosh, like they, they really could." You know, they, they win 10 games last year with Matt Corral, and the way the schedule sets up for Ole Miss, they very well could win 10 games again this year. They, they got a big game against uh, Kentucky next weekend in the Grove. But, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Just some of the coaches and uh, what expectations, realistic expect, expectations, should be. Um, man, it's it, it, like I said, somebody's got to lose and somebody's got to have a bad record this year.
1: Exactly. It feels a lot like the 2014 college football season in in the SEC, in my mind, because it is absolutely anybody's game when it comes to that middle of the pack in the Conference of Dixie. Talk right now with Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, also co-host on Sports Talk 790 out in Houston. You brought up the Wildcats. And when I, every time I see the top 25 rankings come out, I'm wondering if I'm looking at basketball or if I'm looking at football top 25. When I see Kentucky ranked eighth in the country, what is going on over in Lexington?
2: Well, Mark Stoops has done a good job with with, uh, with Kentucky's defense. I mean, ever since he's been there, that defense has been swarming. It's been, you know, they, they reload on that defense. The big problem throughout the years has been the offense you know they've not been able to get consistent quarterback play and last year when they bring in will levis to transfer from penn state he really gave them some stability there and he started to perform well and i think you know there were a lot of people very high on levis this offseason. you know i think even uh, the athletic and one of their early mock drafts said will levis going number one overall next year's draft uh because i think what they were looking at is can this guy be a joe burrow like talent and, and not that he's going to put up Joe Burrow like numbers, but can he be that guy that takes that next step in his development? He gave Kentucky production out of that quarterback spot last year. Can he take his game to another level this year? And so far, I, I kind of think he has. He's had a couple of uh, turnovers, a couple of unfortunate picks, but for the most part, man, he he's using his legs, his running ability, and his arm, you know, throwing for a couple of three uh, hundred yard performances already. Gelling with his receivers, uh, you know, they, they lose Wandell Robinson last year. They bring in Tavion Robinson, transfer from Virginia Tech. He's been very good. They have a true freshman in Dane Key, who has caught a touchdown pass in each of their three games so far. Uh, it's already a Kentucky school record for a freshman. So, it's uh, look, if, they, if he keeps developing, they, they play Northern Illinois tonight. They should win that one going away. But next week, going to the Grove, it's a big, big you know, first test of the season for Will Levis. And they get their start running back back, Chris Rodriguez, who you know, was one of the leaders in the SEC in rushing last year. He has not played yet this year. Uh, he's been suspended, but he will be back for that Ole Miss game. And I think once they get him back and they get back to being more balanced, run pass, I think Kentucky's a dangerous, dangerous team. I have put them in Tennessee in that dangerous category behind Georgia but man, Georgia just looks completely unstoppable right now. So I don't know if anybody, if either them is going to have a chance to beat Georgia. Georgia does have to go to Lexington later in the year, so we'll see where you know where both teams are come that point. But you know, it, it does look like Tennessee and Kentucky are the two you know second best teams in the SEC East, and then it's kind of everybody else. And then of course in the West, uh, you know who's second behind Alabama? Well. Not so fast, but Alabama did not look, uh, you know, looked mortal two weeks ago in Austin when, you know, they nearly lost to Texas. Needed a, a miracle play from Bryce Young to go down and get a game-winning field goal. But yeah, I, I look at this game tonight, this Texas A&M Arkansas game, and and I think this is a really big game in terms of who's second in the West. You know, KJ Jefferson. We've heard all the hype about him all off season, and he's a winner. When you need points, he'll, he'll put the team on his back and go get them. They're three and zero. Survived a little scare from, uh, you know, was it Southern Missouri or wherever Bobby Petrino is coaching now last week? But uh, you know, Texas A&M they get a big home win against Miami. The offense still looked really bad, but the former LSU quarterback Max Johnson he gave them a little stability there, taking over as the starting quarterback last week. And the, and the stats that that stood out to me tonight, Clint, is Arkansas is the worst passing defense in the country. They're not they're not the worst in the SEC. They're the worst in the country. Given up over 300 yards passing a game. Every quarterback Arkansas has faced so far, they've given up 300 yard passing days to all three of them. But they lead the country in sacks. They get after it. They've got 17 sacks on the season. Uh, I'll just put it as simple as this. If Max Johnson could throw for 300 yards tonight for AM, AM's going to win the ball game. Uh, Jimbo's bread and butter has been that run game. They have not been able to run the ball consistently. Devon A. Shane has not had a 100 yard rushing game yet this year. I think uh, he's got to get going. But man, think of this. If Arkansas can pull off the win tonight, and by the way, they're they're an underdog. A&M is, is about a two-point favorite on a neutral field in Dallas. If Arkansas can win this game next week, they will host Alabama in Fayetteville. I don't know if, if College Game Day is looking at it somewhere else, but if College Game Day isn't there, they, they have to be there. And I have to look at Alabama's schedule rough road trips, you know, that they have to go on all season long. they got to go to Fayetteville. they got to go to Baton Rouge this year. Obviously, they went to Austin. We saw that one played out. I, look, if Arkansas can get it done tonight, I'm going to be picking them to upset Alabama next week because they hung with Alabama last year in that game in Tuscaloosa, and Alabama's got their problems. Their secondary is not as strong. Their offensive, offensive line isn't as strong. Bryce Young is still good, but he's looking for who's my go-to receiver. John Mechie's gone. Jameson Williams is gone. So, I think Alabama is very vulnerable this year, and I think uh, this Arkansas team, if they can win tonight, they're going to have all the confidence in the world to give Alabama a dogfight next week.
1: One more before I let you go, Chris. We're talking about some of the other big matchups across the SEC. I think one in particular, you brought up game day. They're out there for this two thirty kick between Florida and Tennessee, two teams ranked in the top 25 right now. Where do you see this game kind of going? Because it feels like Tennessee has a chance to really prove – that they are worth the hype that they had heading into the season.
2: Yeah, that's what I've been saying all week. I'm like, Tennessee, you're the number eleven team in the country. Go act like it. You know what I mean? Like the the Tennessee if you want to be a top eleven team in the country, you gotta go win this ballgame against the good Florida team. And I know everybody's jumping off the Florida bandwagon right now because, you know, look, they they had the miracle win against Utah with the big defensive stop. But the last two weeks, you know, they, they get blown out by Kentucky where the offense can't do anything and then this past week, they survived a scare from South Florida where Anthony Richardson throws two, two interceptions, and uh, Richardson has not thrown a touchdown pass all season long. So when you run through the stats and you run through the numbers, you, know, you understand why Tennessee is around a 10-and-a-half point favorite. But then you really have to take in the factor this is a rivalry game. This is a game where Florida has won 16 of the last 17 in this series, there's a reason why there are Tennessee fans this morning saying, Man, I'm nervous about this game. Why would why should you be nervous about a team you're favored by by double digits in? It's just because of that rivalry factor. And man, when when, when this number starts going up and everybody and their brothers pick a Tennessee, suddenly you have to kinda of flip and say, Maybe Florida is worth a bet today, at least to cover that big spread, because uh, again, rivalry games and I would expect Anthony Richardson rises to the occasion and we may see Anthony Richardson's best performance of the year so far today, because he understands all the pressure that is on them. And, uh, you know, what a marquee win it would be for Billy Napier in year one to win this one, because they're not supposed to win this one. This yep. was a transition year for Napier at Florida. But, uh, you know, look, like you said, you're Tennessee. You have all your hopes and, and aspirations of having a good year. Even if you lose to Georgia, you can win 10 games to go to a, you know, Sugar Bowl or something like that. So it's still all on, on the table, but... Uh, yeah, big, big uh, opportunity here for Florida to show that maybe they're a little bit ahead of schedule with Billy Napier in year one.
1: Chris, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Definitely. Thanks, man. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll come back with more of the hour talking about the Cajuns and their biggest problem right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and one Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: After all your problems during the week... It's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103 7 He had a 104 01 Lake Charles. Ran a little longer than normal with a guy, Chris Gordy, but it is what it is. Still got a lot to talk about, mainly about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns because last week was a disappointing loss. And here's the thing those kind of losses, it happens. It happens to the best of us. Case in point, go look at Texas AN. They lost to App State a couple weeks ago. Love to see it, but at the same time, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. And this was a game that kind of taketh away. And it's more because of the fact that the Cajuns, that two quarterback system, it works, but I feel like people are getting wise to it and really exposing the fact that when you have two quarterbacks, you have none, and kind of further proving that statement. Again, it's not like one quarterback's good and one quarterback's bad, they're both good. I just think that maybe Ben Woolridge is just a little bit better. But that's not even the biggest issue that the Louisiana Raging Cajuns have right now, from what I've seen of this team through three games. And I think the biggest thing I'm missing from this team is, wait for it, the run game. Because for years, this team has been a program that utilizes the run game a good bit all throughout the season, they managed to get things done on the ground consistently. But I'm noticing more this year than other years that they aren't as proficient in running the football. It feels like they're more focused on getting things done through the air. And again, that's not a bad thing at all. Because you look at what they've done, they've done pretty doggone well throwing the football. But at the same time, I think it would be nice to have a little bit more of a focus on the run game. I understand you don't have the beast of guys you had not too long ago, guys like Elijah Mitchell. I get that. You don't have guys like Elijah McGuire, Trey Regis, Raymond Cali, all these guys. I get that because, again, it's just the cost of doing business sometimes. But you've got a guy like Chris Smith. You've got some other players that can be impact. And it just feels like there's a little too much focus on, on the passing game. And I think that's the one thing that's hurting this team because for years, it's been the emphasis on run game while also making sure you don't have too much of a skewed balance. I think the balance is incredibly off because right now you look at the run pass. I think it's a lot more. The the mean is very much leaning towards, I'd say 70 30 when it could be more of a 60 40 hour one is in the books. Hour two of under the dome coming up next Talking about my fave five picks to click next right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports.